You can turn in your Bibles to 1 John, the book of 1 John, beginning in chapter 1, verse 1 for our message this evening. We are in week two of our series, Imagine That. We're walking together through some of the characteristics and practices of our Christian faith that, that we find in the Scriptures, characteristics of the kingdom of God that we're invited to imagine on this earth as they are in heaven, to pursue the things of God as, as we live our lives. Our passage today is in 1 John, and our theme there at the top of your handout is loyalty. Loyalty. Let me read 1 John 1, 1 through 7. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you, that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. This evening, I've put before us a topic that we've looked at a few times lately. In our recent Sunday sermons, we've approached the topic of loneliness and community, considered what it means for God to bring us together. We meet it now in the midst of this series as we imagine what it means that God Himself was made in community and calls us to live in the same. I've put at the top of your handout the word loyalty. Perhaps as a way to think about it differently, rather than using words that uh, we've used before or say a lot, loyalty maybe comes at it from a different angle. But the idea is the same, that God calls us in our faith in Christ into community, into commitment, into stubborn loyalty with a group of people. One Quaker proverb puts it this way, that true community exists when the person you dislike the most dies or moves away, and someone worse takes that place. <laughs> One church member who read that quote before the service said it might be describing prayer meeting, but I won't say which one of you that was. <clears throat> Sometimes community, as displayed in that little proverb, is easier said than done, isn't it? That God would call us together with other people. Some things are just easier by yourself. Some of you have never liked group work or group projects. The trouble is that the Bible tells us a story not about uh, one test or studying for an exam at the end, but a story about a group project that God created for Himself a people. That God Himself existed in community. That Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from the beginning said, Let us make man 
in our image. And not left alone, but given community with God and with one another, we were designed and created to live with people. The trouble is that sin messes everything up. It's difficult. It's hard. And sometimes we forget that our spirituality, our faith, our call to discipleship, our walking in the light as He is in the light means that we are called to have fellowship with one another. Of course, fellowship, community, gathering, being together with other people is not just for the sake of having a one large room with lots of people. We can gather in lots of places. We can have community in lots of things. But Christian community is altogether different in that it calls us not just to be with others who are like us or with others who share our interests or with others who wanted to do the same thing we wanted to do this evening. It calls us to be with others in faithfulness, loyalty to one another. The Bible says in multiple occasions, Hebrews being one such, that we are members of one another, members of Christ's body. And in that sense, to have fellowship with one another means that who we are, what we do, the decisions we make, the choices that we make, have an effect on the rest of the body, for better or for worse. At Kansas University in the 1970s, five sophomore guys climbed down a manhole and went exploring beneath the city streets. Now, some of you have taken on this kind of escapade, you can relate. You know what the tunnels were like in your university town or maybe your hometown or maybe around these parts. As they went, they found all kinds of fun things to destroy. They closed valves as they went along. They pulled breaker switches that no one knew were there. They rerouted water and power. The next day, the city awoke to scrambled services. Of course, the police... Following the trail of five sophomore guys, had no problem walking it right back to the source. And all five of them were picked up by the local police the next day. In case you, didn't, in case you wanted proof that this was 50 years ago and not today, as the story goes, Dean of Students Walter Friesen went with them to the station where they got picked up and persuaded the chief of police to remand them into his custody promising that they would return uh, with an appropriate recommendation on how to resolve the wrongs that they had committed. So he sat the young men down, all all five of the sophomore guys, and he asked them, the, the dean of students said, what went wrong last night? First one spoke up, the Peter of the bunch, we got caught. No, 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 he answered. What went wrong? The second one spoke up. Well, we were trespassing and we broke the law. No, no, he interjected. That's not it. Come on now. What really went wrong? The third finally ventured an answer. He said, we got the college into trouble with the town. No, he said, you can do better than this. You are university students, sophomores no less. That's a freshman answer. What went wrong? The question and answer dialogue went on and on until one of them finally spoke up and gave the answer he was hunting for. What went wrong? We betrayed the community. The university community's trust in us, the city community's safety and security. 
Now we're getting at the heart of it, the dean of students said. The real problem is that you endangered the whole community. Isn't it true sometimes that we picture our lives, our wrongdoing and our well-being, as things that affect us? But the Bible lays in front of us a vision of a new humanity, a new people of God called together where our behavior, our beliefs, are not solely the possession of ourselves, but we belong to one another and we belong to God. That the love of God and the love of neighbor happen at the same time. They're two sides of the same coin. Last week we talked about imitation. That our first call as disciples is to attachment to Jesus, to to see his example and to imitate it, to mimic the pattern set for us in Christ himself. Imitation is our first attachment. But the second, in almost the same breath that the Bible gives us, the second command is an attachment to other people. A command to be with those who believe and to belong to them. Loyal community, we discover, is the natural habitat of any true disciple. See, those who seek to know Christ know that He is known in the midst of community. We come to know God as we get together with others, and not just gather in the same room, but become committed to one another, loyal to other believers in ways we'd never before imagined. And sometimes we think of our faith as a private closet kind of thing, that that real faithful people are the ones who spend the most time alone, or on their knees, or in solitude. And certainly we can make a case in some other sermon about how Jesus pulls away at certain stressful moments in His ministry commits himself to focus on God. But how many other times does he pull himself within a circle of others? Immediately in his public ministry, he's drawing others around him, creating a circle of faith, active in love, serving in obedience together to God. See, the real faithful people among us are not just those who say, am I doing the right thing? Those who hear the Sermon on the Mount teach us that our first question ought to be, am I in a a right relationship with those around me, with God? Am I at peace with others? Am I willing to forgive my brother before asking forgiveness myself? These are the qualities the Sermon on the Mount teaches for us. That our faith is not free-floating. It has a location. The location for faith in the Scriptures is in God's fellowship, in community, in loyalty, allegiance, belonging to other people. Jesus' disciples, I've put as a second point on your handout, are called to stick together in a stubborn loyalty called community. We're called not just to gather together, but to belong to each other, to be committed to one another, faithful in our friendships, in our connectedness. That our network of people drawn together by God's Spirit belongs and becomes something that we otherwise could not be. Not just a private inner temple is our faith, not just a place of meeting where we can safely share about our souls, but a community where we are formed and found in God. Even the word spirituality itself is often a solitary pursuit these days. You say spirituality and you think of a retreat where 
we learn the art of, of being alone or uh, where we go off and do something to get peace of mind or find a new happiness or make an inner resolution. All of these are connected to one person's experience with God. But the Bible, as it presents to us an experience with God, is also describing an experience with other people. That those who walk in God's light are people who walk with others. Community is what we do with our loneliness. It's what we do with our relationships. It's the natural habitat of any true disciple of Jesus. That is the original description of the Christian faith. You can go to the book of Acts and find it, that this truly distinctive of Jesus' disciples. What is fascinating is that as the Bible begins to describe Jesus' first disciples, to describe the original Christians, it begins to give us a picture of their faith, of their spirituality, of what they believed in about God. What is interesting, perhaps most unique, about the Christian faith from its very inception is that each of those who began to follow Jesus not only believed certain things about the risen Lord and the God from whom He had come, but that they thought that their belief in God that they had discovered in Jesus required, required that they begin meeting in a way distinct from the world. That the God that they had met in Jesus prescribed to them not just a life of new relationship to the Father, but a life of new relationship to one another. Imagine that every single one of the disciples who encountered the love of Christ in person and the spirit that God left as he ascended to the Father, every single one of them believed that their faith required them to keep on getting together. That even though I have suddenly been restored to God, I cannot embrace that fully without being restored to those around me. That I'm formed and found by God, not in some place by myself, but right here in the middle of God's people. I chose the word loyalty to put in front of us today because God's calling on us is not just to show up. It's not even just to gather. But real community in the scriptures comes when those who are called and equipped by God begin to come out of their solitude, of their sameness, and of their self-interest. When we become loyal to God's people, all three of those things seem to fall away, don't they? You see, there are a lot of communities, groups, fellowships that you could be a part of. Maybe you've been in the Christian world so long that you hear these words like fellowship, we even have a room for that, or community, we say it in every Bible study, or gathering, or worship, or all of these words. Maybe they all connote Christian life to you or church to you, and that, that's wonderful. But there are a lot of places you can receive community. I meet people all the time who are filling, uh, plugging the hole of loneliness in their lives with any number of things offered in our, our city, our lives. 
We jump in to our children and their activities. We jump into involvement in local civic organizations. We become president of this or club member of that. We start to play this sport or pick up this hobby and get together with this other group. And, and all of these things, while they may provide some benefit to our life and hopefully some service to the world, are no match for the unique and distinct called-out community, the ecclesia, the church that Scripture describes. You see, all of those communities, unlike Christ's community, center around something else. They pull you together because you're there with people with a similar interest. They pull you together because you're with people who have similar social standing or social location. Maybe you're uh, you play games with the same people who like those games. You go to school with people who live in a certain area. You gather with people who like the same uh, hobbies as you do. What is unique about Christian community is that it pulls together all who have been given God's Spirit. It takes us, pulls us out of, of our ability, our predisposition to run towards people like us or who like the same things as us or who just simple, simply have some similarities to us and pulls us into a, a community of difference. People who aren't necessarily like us. Some may be, but the, the unique, common, and distinctive factor of those who are part of God's people is that they are connected to Jesus and they are connected to you because of that. They have become a part of what the Bible calls Christ's body. All of these other enclaves or segments of society really just celebrate similarity. All the ways that we get together with people who are doing or liking or are like us. The Christian community does something entirely different. It pulls together all those who are connected to Christ. It pulls us out of our solitude, it pulls us away from our sameness, and it pulls us away even from our self-interest. C.S. Lewis famously wrote in his classic study, The Four Loves, and made it popular to speak about the Greek language's four different words for love, sorge, eros, philia, agape being the most well-known. These become sort of a spectrum of, of love in the New Testament for many. Agape is this uh, compassionate, benevolent love, is an, uh, intended as unquestionably the superior to all the other forms of love. It's selfless, altruistic, care for others. And over the centuries, the definitions of, of each of these words is, has gradually become more individualistic. In the New Testament, all four of these words, though, each time one of them is translated as, as love, referred to this shared love, a mutual relationship. And even though agape love is sort of the highest sense of love in the New Testament, whether it's agape or, or philia, there's always this deeply communal word. It's something that happens amidst people, in groups, a relationship that pulls us out of me and I and into a sense of we and us. In the Christian scriptures, the highest word, the most virtuous form of love, you know as agape love. 
But perhaps the, the best word to describe what Christ calls us into is that New Testament word koinonia, the, the mutual, committed, celebratory love of, of relationships, community, and fellowship. That's the word that John reaches for as he writes that if we say we have fellowship with God and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And as we do that, and in the midst of that, He says, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. The addressing of sin, even in my life, depends on you being with me in fellowship. How dramatically different is that from our typical view of sin that says, I need only to worry about me and that my faith is between me and God, to each his or her own. The Bible says that as we fellowship together, we have the hope of being cleansed. That to live in koinonia and fellowship is to rely on this web of relationships of loving and caring community. And when it's centered on Jesus, the unique character of who he is in his selfless love and his giving of himself to others becomes a possibility to us. I can't be like Jesus unless you're there with me. Because Jesus is there when we are together. There's an old rabbinic tale in the Jewish tradition about a prince long ago in a distant land who dreamed of uh, creating more than just a geographical or political kingdom. He wanted to establish a real community where everybody was committed to each other in loyalty and in equality, where every person sought the good of their neighbor even at the cost of himself. So the prince called a great meeting of all the heads of all the clans in his area, all the wise and trusted people of the land. And he dared to tell them about his, his dream of building this kind of society. Each of the chiefs of all the clans were invited to join in the new foundation of this kingdom. As part of the community's inauguration, each one of them was requested to search his cellar, for the finest wine produced from all his ancestral vines. That's how you know it's a Jewish story. (laughs) These treasured bottles would be uncorked, poured into a great communal vat, and blended together as the true community it represented was supposed to be into one common vintage, he said. One of them spoke up, one of the wine growers, having long dedicated himself to the art, said, how can I mix my exquisite wine with that of my neighbors? It would sacrifice the unique variety of the grape, the special climate of the year, the sweetness of the late harvest, the indefinable magic that I've created. I would violate my art as a winemaker. Impossible, he said. Give up. My distinct variety, he thought as he went home. Lose my my separate self, 
he said in his own room. He couldn't do it. Could not allow what he had created to be mixed in some big common cup. So he came up with a plan. He corked a bottle of tap water, fixed his most beautiful label to the bottle, and at the time of the ritual pouring of the water into the ceremonious vat, he made the same covenant as everyone else and poured in his bottle. When it came time, they took the common cup which had shared all of the creation of each of the chiefs and poured it into separate cups, and all of them raised their glasses and touched it to their lips, and all of them took a drink at the same time, and it was tasteless. And they all knew the truth. No one had been willing to pay the cost of community. Only water was there. And we can hold what God has given us, the uniqueness of who we believe we are. But the cost of being God's people is a coming together to be one. Let's pray. Father, in our life together, we long to offer the world something different than it has ever known before, the gift of fellowship that you offer to us who walk in the light. Help us to be in the light as you are in the light together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.